This message was presented at the GYC 2011 conference. For other resources like this, visit us online at gycweb.org. All right, we'll go ahead and uh, find our seats. That's a strange expression. I'm such a concrete thinker. Find our seats like they were lost. But let's get back to them, I think would be more accurate, uh, accurately spoken. All right. Um, I'm always going to get us started here. I, 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 I appreciate your questions. I want to encourage you to, to bring them to the mic here at the very end because I have learned that if one person has the question, others do as well. Have you discovered that? Most of you in college, you figured that out by now. Most of us don't ask questions. Thank you so much. Because we think we're the only ones that have the question, only to find out that half a dozen others did as well. I learned that in a sociologist, sociology class. Um, when I was in college, anything that smelled like extra credit, I was on it like white on rice. And... Um, I had a, a sociology teacher. You probably did too. Uh, I can't remember his name now. He was Korean. You didn't take him? And I can't remember his name. But uh, he gave extra credit for asking questions. This doesn't require brain surgery. And uh, it was challenging because, anyway. And, and so I, I would, as he was talking and anything would come to my mind that sounded halfway intelligent, I would just write down, you know, this would make a good question, that would make a good question, and sometimes they were, oh yeah, that'd be a good question. And at the very end, I was the only one asking all these questions. My other classmates were so quiet. But when I walked out, they would say to me, thank you so much for asking, because I was wondering the same thing. And that's when I began to realize that when I have a question, others really do have the same one. So if you have one, other people do as well, so please feel free to ask. All right. I'm really excited about our next presentation uh, for many reasons. I love the sanctuary. <clears throat> what, what made me interested in the sanctuary is because the answer as to how God is preparing us to go home is found there. I mean, it's spelled out there the easiest. Uh, you know, lots of people come to understand righteousness by faith in the New Testament. I came to learn it in the sanctuary. And, um, and, and that's been a blessing to me. Um, so what I'd like to do is get into this presentation and, uh, and share with you the things the Lord has, has shared with me. But before I do, if I can have some some volunteers, uh, I'm going to give you a little outline that you can take home uh, with your, and, and, and utilize and maybe share. Thank you very, very much. All right. There you go. I appreciate that. Thank you, thank you. And I want to thank Matthew, too, so much for being willing to step in. He's never seen this material before, and he's going to be my AV man. But uh, we go back from the mountains of uh, North Carolina, and he's an EV man out there, so I have great... I was praying, Lord, bring me someone. You realize you're, you're not here for any other reason than the Lord brought you. You realize that. You're the man of the hour, friend. And an answer to prayer, my prayer, I appreciate you willing to do that, being here to help. But uh, as, I sh as I shared with you a little bit already... Um, I have a terrible, terrible, terrible time with my mind wandering. In fact, Roger's not here, but uh, Roger, who was sitting over here, um, I remember I mentioned to you, if, 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 you th if you don't think I have trouble with ADD, ask my wife. He did. It was a little discouraging to see how quickly she responded 
and uh, how adamant she was, but anyway. But, um, but the sanctuary prayer has helped me, when my mind begins to wander, to redirect it again and where I left off and where to pick up. You know, the spirit of prophecy, Ellen White tells us it's important for us to really work at that and to bring our minds back. Get, um, get our minds back. Discipline our minds. Bring it back. So know that you're not the only one that struggles with this, and some of us more so than others. Thank you so much. So with that, you all have a handout. Why don't we begin uh, by once again uh, approaching our Maker and our King. Gracious Father, I, I again thank you for the loving manner in which you have uh, been visiting us, speaking to our hearts, and, uh, and making yourself not only uh, uh, present, Lord, not only real, but, but so, so close to us. We thank you. And, uh, and Father, as we get into the sanctuary now, I, I pray that you will direct my mind. There is so much here, Lord, that I can expound upon, but I pray that you will harness my mind, keep me focused, and to present those things, only those things that you want me to present. I want to thank you, Lord, for your Son who gave his life for us. I thank you for that blood that was shed, dear God, the life given up to give us life. I thank you, Lord, that, that it doesn't end there, but, but that his righteousness is extended to us. And so we ask for that righteousness to cover us. We ask, Lord, for your Holy Spirit to fill this room, that your mighty angels will be here to influence our hearts. And that, uh, and that, loving Father, every other voice will be hushed and we will lock in on what it is you're trying uh, to communicate to us. We thank you for this. We praise you for not only what you have done and what you're doing, but what you're about to do. We ask this all in Christ's precious name. Amen. The sanctuary was given by God as a mechanism of instruction to Israel. And in the sanctuary... God was to share with, was with Israel how God intended to deal with the sin problem. It's all found there in the sanctuary. The plan of salvation is revealed there. Today, the sanctuary points us by faith to what Jesus has done, to what Jesus is doing, and to what Jesus is about to do. And so, as I use the sanctuary uh, prayer... It's constantly keeping in the forefront of my mind what Christ has done and what Christ is doing and what Christ is about to do. Are you with me? This, the, the sanctuary message and, and everything encapsulated in it is present truth. You take this away, hear me, there is no Seventh-day Adventist church. It's not there. When I run into Adventists that say they don't believe in the sanctuary message, that's like Catholics not believing in the Pope. It's, it's illogical. It's, it's, it's illogical. You, there is no Adventist church without the sanctuary message. And so, so this, this is very helpful to me, but it's also very practical for me as well. I've mentioned uh, one of the reasons why I use this method. In my, it, it helps me keep my mind focused. Um, it also helps me to, to, to be aware of what Christ is doing right now. But it also te- it, it, it helps me... Uh, to know how to approach God, but also what to pray for. The sanctuary really does cue me on what to pray for. If you're with me so far, please say amen. Now, I want to stress this. You don't have to pray this way. 
Are you with me? You don't get brownie points for praying this way. This isn't mandatory. It is mandatory we pray. And if you study the Bible, there are several models for prayer. This is just the one that I am most comfortable with and I enjoy. Amen. You with me so far? Okay. The Lord is good. So uh, with that, I want to begin. Uh, what I'm going to do is I'm gonna, we're going to look at this in three phases. First of all, the instruction that God gave to Israel regarding the sanctuary services. Then we're going to look at it as how it points to Christ and how that cued then. Thirdly, how it cues me to pray. Are you with me? Let me repeat that. How at first it related to the services with the priests, how it points to Jesus, and how it cues me to pray. So let's take a look first at this quote. I want you to see this. Satan well knows that how many? How many of all is all? That's pretty comprehensive. Satan well knows that all whom he can lead to neglect prayer and the searching of the scriptures will be overcome by his attacks. Therefore, he invents every possible device to engross the mind. How successful is he in your life? He's been awfully successful in mine. And so I'm asking the Lord to redirect my thoughts. Amen? As he's calling you to do as well. But one of the first things we learn is that the sanctuary is a model for when to worship. For when to worship. And here we find the timing for prayer is found in the sanctuary. The priests at the start of the day in Israel would, would be looking at the horizon in the morning for the sun. And as the sun broke the horizon, they would blow the shofar because it was the call to pray. Did you know that? And at that time, the faithful of Israel would be looking towards the sanctuary for the beginning of the daily services, consecrating themselves to God for the day. That's how it began. And so it's a reminder to, to, to us that worship, our, our, our coming to Christ, begins when? In the morning. And we find this example in the life of Christ. In Isaiah 50, verse 4 and 5, it says, The Lord God has given me the tongue of the learned, that I should know how to speak a word in season to him who is weary. He awakens me when? Morning by morning, he awakens my ear to hear as the learned. And so, my devotional life begins in the morning. Uh, I don't know how many of you know Richard O'Phil. I love Pastor O'Phil. And uh, he said something when they kind of made me chuckle. He said, you know, if you wait to do your, work, your devotions at the end of the day, you're going to end up with the loser's prayer. Lord, I'm sorry for having done this. I'm sorry for having done that. But, uh, the, but before you enter into the battle, that's when you put on your armor. And so in the morning, we come before the Lord. And, you know, I remember hearing a very godly man say, uh, in fact, it was Jerry, that uh, he, he, he asked the Lord to wake him up in the morning that he didn't use an alarm clock. And from then on, I took up that challenge, and God wakes me up in the morning. Except for that, the only time I can remember being late, and I shared with you, was on the day of that test. But the Lord had other plans in mind. Amen? But, uh, but the Lord wakes me in the morning, and I spend my time with him in prayer. So now let's look at the sanctuary as the model for praying, how to pray. Well, the first thing we encounter is the gate, the gate to the outer court. There was one entrance... Uh, to the sanctuary, and that was located at the east. And when the humble, repentant uh, Hebrew uh, came to the sanctuary for forgiveness of sin, he would come to this gate, and he would be met there by the priest. 
And the priest would uh, explain to him the role that he was about to play uh, with his sacrifice. But the Bible tells us that that gate represents something. And uh, John 10, 9 verse 10, it says, I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be what? Saved. John 14, 6 says, Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Dear friends, you know, all roads do not lead to Rome. All roads do not lead to heaven. It's through Christ and Christ only. And that's the lesson there. And, uh, and so as we enter in, the psalmist and David is fasting. I'm beginning to understand, appreciate more and more David's understanding of the sanctuary. David had a profound understanding. But in Psalms 100, verse and five, uh, verses 1 through 5, David really tells us the, the mindset in which we come in. And here he writes, Make a joyful shout to the Lord, all you lands. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come before His presence with singing. Know that the Lord, He is God. It is He who has made us and not we ourselves. We are His people and the sheep of His pasture. Enter into His gates with what? Thanksgiving. And into His courts with what? With praise. Be thankful to Him and bless His name. For the Lord is good. His mercy is everlasting and His truth endures to all generations. We are to begin by praising Him. And and, and as we mentioned in the Lord's Prayer that praising God and thanking Him prepares the mind. You know, I have done something. I don't know if you've ever done this, but when I've been really discouraged, uh, when I go through the Bible, I like to highlight all the promises. I don't know if you do this, but I will claim promises for a situation I'm in, and I will write next to it my problem. And when the Lord, come, when, the Lord uh, when He answers that, I then put the date by it. And I have all these little memory stones, uh, Ebenezer stones in my Bible. And many times when I'm discouraged, I will go through and, and go through each one of those. Praising God, remembering the things that God has done. And you know what happens? It's really strange. My problems shrink and my God grows. And uh, usually what we do is we whine and complain and then our problems grow and our God shrinks. And uh, so as we pray, as we, before we bring, bring our petitions to the Lord, as we're praising Him and thanking Him, our God is growing and our problems are shrinking. And faith will grow. And I love what Ellen White has to say here in uh, Prophets and Kings, page 202. She says, if more praising of God were engaged in now, watch this, hope and courage and faith would steadily what? I don't know about you, but I need hope, courage, and faith to increase. How about you? Amen? Well, now you know how to do it. Praise God. Praise Him. Thank Him. Acknowledge Him for the things that He's done, but also for who He is. Absolutely. And we certainly have much to thank Him for. You know, uh, I had a pastor friend of mine who, when when discouragement overcame him, he was looking in the wrong direction, suddenly he found himself in the pit. He would go through the, he couldn't think of anything to praise and thank. He was struggling at the time. I think you know what I'm talking about. You've been there. He'll go through the alphabet. A, think of something that begins with an A to praise Him for. And he just go through. And, and it always strengthens us. But it prepares the heart and mind uh, for worship. And now we enter into the outer court. And there we're going to find the altar of burnt offering and the laver. Let's look at the brazen altar first. And this is where the animals, the sacrificial animals, were brought. And, um, you know, I don't have this right now. But try to get this picture in your mind. The sanctuary, the way it was set up, um, was in the center of the camp of Israel is going through the wilderness. Are you with me? And, and as it was set up, I'm just going to do this real small, 
the tents and stuff were set up all around it, but there was a, a plaza in between the, the tabernacle itself and uh, the tents of the nation of Israel. There is some discussion as to how, how, how big that plaza was, and there's two instances in Scripture where God told Israel to come no further than 2,000 cubits, which is about two-thirds of a mile. So many seem to think that was probably the size of the plaza. I want you to picture this in your mind. But uh, you're in the, the, the camp of Israel, and you committed your sin. And, and the Holy Spirit is brought to your mind. You realize what you've done, and you, know, the, the, you feel uh, remorse. And so you grab your lamb, and you begin walking to the, the tabernacle to offer your sacrifice. And then you get to the edge of the plaza, and there's two-thirds of a mile, and everyone is watching. Was there peer pressure back then, too? But if somebody was more concerned about what God thought than what man thought, he went into that plaza. Amen? And as he went into that plaza, he went to the gate. The priest greeted him there, gave him his instructions. There he was to confess his sin upon the lamb. And there was a transfer that took place from himself to the sheep, to the lamb. Then the repentant sinner was to get the knife and slit the throat of that innocent lamb. And then watch as its life ebbed away. The priest would have there a bull to capture the blood, signifying that the, the sin that was on the individual now transferred to the lamb is now caught in that bull. And the priest then would go into the holy place and he would sprinkle it before the veil in here, signifying that that sin that was on the individual has now been symbolically transferred to the sanctuary. Are you with me? That's symbolic because we're going to come back. That's very important because we're going to come back to that later uh, on. But what, 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 what God was trying to communicate to Israel is it was there at the altar that the sin and the sinner parted ways through the blood of the Lamb. Amen? And so the Lamb here points us to the Lord Jesus Christ. When John, uh, seeing Jesus there on the bank in John 1.29, cried out and said, The next day John saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And, and as I come to the brazen altar in my mind, uh, I, I think about the last 24 hours, if there's anything that I have said or done that I need to bring before the Master and ask for forgiveness. Now hopefully through the day, if we do something wrong, the Lord will impress us and we deal with it right then. And, uh, but, uh, it, you know, I don't know about you, but sometimes by the end of the day, it, it, I'll think about my day, and there's some things I'll deal with it then, but I'm usually so tired, all I, want to, all I can think about is my pillow. And, uh, but in the morning is when I really just sink my teeth into it even more, and I spend more time with Him. And if the Lord uh, brings something to my mind, then I make a notation that I have got to deal with that as I confess those sins uh, to Him. And so, uh, during the, the brazen altar is, when I conf- is where I, I, I confess my sins to the Lord. And then I go on to the labor of washing. Uh, and in my mind here, uh, I think about the service of the priest. And the priest, before he uh, did any work in the sanctuary, he first washed his hands and he washed his feet. Uh, he, th- there was a cleansing before he entered the service, before he went into the tabernacle, before he ministered at the altar, he washed his hands and his feet. That water experience was a cleansing, was symbolic of preparation for service. And Jesus 
before he began his ministry, had a water experience as well. And we find here in Luke 3, verse 21 and 23, these words. It came to pass that Jesus also was what? Baptized. And while he prayed, the heaven was open and the Holy Spirit descended in bodily form like a dove upon him and a voice from heaven which said, You are my beloved Son, and you I am well pleased. Now Jesus himself, next word, began his ministry at about 30 years of age. And so this water experience was the beginning of his ministry. Do you catch that? that that's inaugurated. By the way, don't miss the fact that he was filled with the Holy Spirit for service first. Very interesting, isn't it? We are here wanting to do the Lord's work. We heard this morning about waiting for the Lord, asking for the outpouring of His Spirit upon us. That's awesome. We are being so blessed. But here we see that uh, the labor is a call to service. It is a call to service. And during my prayer time, I recommit my life to Christ here. We are to recommit our lives to the Lord every day, friend. Is it, Amen? And not just once. It's an everyday experience. And so as I pray to the Lord here and I recommit my life to Jesus, uh, I ask Him once again to enter and to remain on the throne of my heart. I ask Him to write His laws upon my heart and mind and to create in me a clean heart and to renew a right spirit within me. I want to be fully surrendered to Him. That's my prayer every single day. I want to be. And so here at the laver is where I pray for that in my mind. Then, in my mind, I enter the tabernacle into the holy place. And there we find the lampstand, the altar of incense, and the table of showbread. By the way, if at any moment during my prayer time my mind should wander, I can backtrack and think, okay, wait a second, where was I? And then I know what it is I've been praying for, and I continue. Does this make sense? And so my first stop is going to be the lampstand. It was the only light source... uh, in the holy place. Now, of course, the Shekinah in the Most Holy, I'm sure, spilled over. But as far as light in the holy place emanating from the holy place, uh, we have the candlestick. And in the candlestick, uh, part of the daily service that the priest was involved in was to make sure that the light never went out. He was constantly checking it to make sure that the wick, there was plenty of wick there, and uh, the oil was being poured into each of those little vessels so that the light was constantly illuminating that the light was always on. How does this point to Jesus? John 8, 12 reminds us of Jesus, that He is the light of the world. He who follows me shall not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. And of course, the oil is a symbol of what? Of the Holy Spirit, of which Jesus was filled. And so during this time of my prayer life, I am asking the Holy Spirit to fill me. I am asking for an infilling. I am asking, Lord, to fill me with the early rain and to prepare me for the latter rain. This is why I pour my heart to Him. I ask that Christ will live in me the hope of glory. I ask for a heart that is, that, that is yielded and sensitive to the voice of my Savior as He speaks to me to do something or to not do something, that His guiding hand will be more distinct and clear to me. Each day I pray for this, and the sanctuary reminds me To do that, I ask Him to fill me with His Spirit. Because Jesus isn't the only one who's called to be the light of the world. 
We are called to be a light to the world as well, aren't we? But we don't make our light shine. We let it shine. As Christ is in us, He'll shine out. Amen? So I ask for Christ to live in me. In Volume 6 Testimony, 117, we find these words. We need and must have fresh supplies. How often? Every day. All heaven is what? It's not some. Do you think those folks up there are anxious? Could they be borderline impatient? They're waiting. They're waiting for somebody to ask. Isn't that awesome? Does that encourage you? does me. All heaven is waiting for channels through which can be poured the holy oil to be a joy and a blessing to others. That's what waiting for. You know, uh, we're praying for revival. And with revival, we're praying for reformation. One of my students at Wachita came up with revival, reformation, and continuation. Amen? Not just a stop. But revival, reformation, continuation in preparation for translation. Isn't that right? And that begins with the outpouring of the Holy Spirit as we yield to the leading of God in our life and we ask for it. So in this portion of my prayer life, I am praying for that experience in my life. Uh, Also, uh, when we get to the table of showbread, and by the way, I also ask the Lord to use me and and to give me me opportunities to share with others. But next we come to the table of showbread. At the table of showbread, the priest every year or every, every Sabbath, rather, would bring seven uh, or twelve loaves of, of bread. Uh, every Sabbath, it was uh, to be made fresh, and it kept all through the week uh, as, as, a, as a reminder of God being the one who supplies all our needs. Do you believe that? He does. But uh, how does this bread point to Jesus? In John 6:48, Jesus said quite simply... I am the bread of life. So, not only does Jesus supply us with the physical bread that keeps us alive every day, but he supplies us also with the spiritual bread to keep us spiritually alive every day. Amen? God is the one who supplies us. And and during this time in my prayer life, when I get to the table of showbread, I am asking God to give me a strength to face today's temptations and trials. I have no idea what's waiting for me in the day. But does God? Yeah, absolutely he does. So I am asking the Lord to strengthen me and to prepare me for the challenges of today. And what I do during this portion of my prayer is I will get my day planner and I'll start going through every meeting or every class. And I have challenges in those classrooms or I have challenges in those meetings or maybe a job or an assignment or some sort of deadline. And so during my prayer life, at this portion, I am listening to the Lord Everything that, in, that, that my day is, is entailed with, and I'm asking him to give me the strength, the wisdom, the faith, and the courage that I will need to supply my needs for that day. And of course, the Lord is willing to do that. In Philippians 4.19, we find this text, And my God shall supply all your need according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. But remember, we learned that if you don't ask, don't ask. So I ask, because I need his help. And so that's what I do in that portion of my uh, prayer life. And by the way, I want to continue to encourage you to look for that book, 
um, The Power of Prayer by Ellen White. And, and as you do in that compilation, you're going to see a number of things in there that, uh, that is recommended for us to pray for. And listen, when someone inspired by God is recommending you pray for this, uh, take notice. Take notice. Amen? Don't you, aren't you glad? I have come to appreciate the word and the spirit of prophecy more and more. The longer I live, the more I appreciate it. I don't know if you find that experience in your life, but it just makes things so much easier instead of trying to figure the thing out ourselves. No, I am so glad for God's leading in our life and his willingness to give us all that we need. Okay, so our next stop then is the golden altar. The golden altar uh, stood between uh, the ark and... Uh, it's about the midway point, I suppose, you can say. But it stood right up against the, uh, the curtain. And the other side was the ark. And, of course, uh, this stood on the side with uh, the menorah and the table of showbread. And here, the priest, as part of the daily service, the morning and evening sacrifice, would bring incense and would place the incense there on the golden altar. And uh, King David reminds us, he says, Let my prayer be set before you as... Incense, And so that he was mediating for Israel during that time when Israel, during the morning and evening sacrifice, when they were looking towards the temple in prayer, bringing their petitions before the Lord, the priest would then place the incense as a symbol of the prayer ascending up and over into the throne of God, symbolizing that God was hearing those prayers. Are you with me? And when the Israelites smelled the incense as they wafted to the camp, it was an encouragement to them that God had heard their prayer. But we, through faith, we can believe that God hears if we meet those conditions that he has set before us so clearly when we pray. God does hear. And uh, how does this work remind us of Jesus? Well, after his death and resurrection and ascension into the holy place in heaven, 1 Timothy 2.5, we're reminded, for there is one God and one what? mediator between God and men, the man who? Christ Jesus. And Jesus is their mediator. So as you pray, have you ever seen the painting by Harry Anderson? And it shows the globe, the world, and a little family, a man, a father, and his wife, and the children gathering. And as they're praying, you see the prayer wafting up, and you see Christ in the most holy place by the Ark of the Covenant. Have you ever seen that? That is so awesome. That's a beautiful imagery. But that is the imagery. Because when we're praying, there is a mediator who is receiving that. And in Hebrews 7.25 is a beautiful description of him. It says, therefore, he is able... I love this wording. Hang on this. He is able to save to the uttermost. Hey, how can you top uttermost? Come see me later if you can think of something better than that. Therefore, he is able to save to the uttermost those who come to God through him, since he always lives to make what? intercession. And then it is during this time that I lift up my, my prayer request to others. By the way, I really encourage you to have a prayer list. If, if you don't, you have a prayer journal. And it hasn't been long. You can just put what your need is, make it short. And then as the Lord answers it, you can put the date by it. And then you can cross that one out. And by the way, write thank you next to that. But uh, what will happen is you'll... I run into people all the time that say to me, you know, God never answers my prayer. And that's not true, unless there's something really going on in their life. But usually what happens is we pray, and then we get up and leave, and God answers, and we're not even paying attention. How sad. Don't you know that that... I mean, I have feelings. God created me that way. You think God has feelings? 
I would venture to guess he does. And that has to be hurtful. So let's remember, write those things down. Let's thank him. Let's remember. And by the way, it's going to strengthen your faith. It's going to strengthen your faith to do that. But uh, when I pray, uh, I always begin by lifting up my wife and my children. Then I go out from there. I lift up. I am the priest of my home. And I lift up my wife and my kids before the Lord in prayer. And I've already shared with you that I'm already praying for my children's future spouses and their in-laws. Asking the Lord to, uh, to bless them and to protect them. You know, in this, in this perverse age, I am praying that those parents won't lose their vigilance. I'm praying that they will be courageous in a perverse world. That they have the courage to swim against the current. Listen to me. If you make the decision to follow Christ fully, no playing church, but following Him fully, you're going to be swimming upstream. Everything is going downhill. You follow Jesus, you're going upstream. But, there, but home is upstream. Whenever I see those salmon, you know, those fish, I tell you, I cry. I ask God to give me the tenacity of those fish. The tenacity, because home is, up, is upstream. It's upstream. I pray that those parents have, have some starch. They're courageous. They're willing to stand up when it's what is required for their family and be willing to take ridicule to protect their children. I pray that those kids will follow the instruction and, 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 and keep themselves pure. To follow Christ fully is my prayer. I don't know where they are. I don't know where those kids are. I don't know if time will last that long. I don't know. But if it does, I look forward to meeting those children that I've been praying for for so long. I pray for my own children. I pray for my wife and I that we remain those, those types of parents. And then from there on, I pray for the people in my world. I pray for my students in my classroom and their struggles that they have. I pray for the staff where I'm working. I pray for, for, for my friends and other churches. I lift them up in prayer each day. I pray for my classmates. From the moment I gave my life to Christ, I'm still praying for them each and every day that they will come to know Christ. And uh, so this is where I do my intercessory prayer for others. Watch these quotes. What I'm going to show you now is awesome. You ready for this? Our next one. At the sound of fervent prayer, Satan's whole host trembles. Three of you. Four. Hey, has he ever made you afraid? How about making him tremble a little bit? I like that idea. You know, during World War II, the, the United States military had a strategy that was very effective. First thing you did is you brought in the Air Force, you took control of the air. Once you did that, then you brought in the artillery and you began bombardment from a distance. Then you brought in the armor. Then you brought in the ground troops. And the key was taking control of the air. When whoever controlled the air controlled the ground. And the devil is called the prince of the power of the prayer is Air Force for Christians. And the only way we're going to win this battle is to take control of the air. And so as we begin to pray and we start launching off the artillery, which is our radio, which is our television, and then we bring in the armor, which is our literature, and then we bring in the troops, which is our Bible workers and our co-porters and the witnessing that we do in our workplace, the success depends on taking control of the air. We have to be in prayer. What is it about prayer that makes him do this? I'll tell you what it is. Prayer accesses heaven's strategic air command and puts them into action for the ground troops. Are you with me? We must pray. Prayer is not an option. If it makes him do this, we've got to figure out what he knows that you and I don't. And we've got to be praying. 
we've got to be praying and keep him shaking. And look at this next quote. This imagery here blows my mind. Ministering angels are waiting about the throne. To what? Instantly obey the mandate of Jesus Christ to answer how many prayers? Every prayer offered in earnest living faith. And I, I don't know, I guess I have too active imagination, but I am picturing Christ on this throne up there, surrounded by these majestic beings, these warriors of light. And, and as somebody, somebody, Lindsay kneels for worship and prayer and pours out her heart in prayer. And as she is praying, Christ is listening. And those angels are watching, watching Christ, watching Lindsay, and their muscles, muscles are just twitching, waiting. And then Jesus looks to one and points. <sighs> are you with me? But how often do those angels wait in vain? Because we don't pray, because we think we can do it ourselves, or because we think our situation is hopeless. And we don't bother. Dear friends, they're waiting for us. Let's not let them wait in vain. God is ready to and willing to listen to every prayer that is offered in faith. Amen? Okay, then we move on into the most holy place, the Ark of the Testimony. This is where the very visible presence of God dwelt. Here the priest, the high priest, entered in once a year on the Day of Atonement. And here he, were, he came to cleanse the sanctuary of all the sins that had been transferred to the sanctuary throughout the year. A cleansing work is done at the end of the year, signifying the work of Christ in the last days. And here we find, in the study of the book of Daniel, uh, the 2300 days, the prophecy reveals that in 1844, Christ entered into the most holy place to finish his work. The work as the high priest, the investigative judgment, to bring an end to sin and the great controversy. Can you say amen to that? I remember a dear friend of mine who died of cancer. He, boy, he was like a modern-day Job, the things that happened to him. But I remember one day, almost lost in thought, I heard him say, the longer I live, the better heaven looks. How true. How true. You know, I, I once heard somebody say, you know, you can be so heavily minded, you can be no earthly good. It's a lie. You're no earthly good unless you're heavenly minded, friends. You have nothing to offer anybody else. No. And our minds, our thoughts need to be uh, on what Jesus is doing there right now so we can cooperate with him. We have to understand what he's doing because he wants us to so we can, we can cooperate with him so he can get the work done and we get out of here. Amen. And so Jesus is there, and it's interesting to me the imagery in Daniel chapter 7, verse 13, uh, that is recorded for us the events that took place on October 22, 1844. And here we find the words, I was watching in the night vision, and behold, one like the Son of Man coming, with the clouds of heaven. He came to the Ancient of Days, and they brought him near before him. That was October 22, uh, 1844. And so here we're finding the beginning of the investigative judgment in heaven. And today, that reminds me that God is preparing a people to go home. And when I, in my mind, as I come into the most holy place, there to meet with God, uh, I begin by asking Him, giving Him full permission to search my heart over and to lead me through whatever experience to show me if there's anything in my life that is standing between my soul and my Savior. Are you with me? And I ask Him to examine me. And when the examination is called judgment. And David brings this out for, him, out for us in Psalms 19.2. Uh, David asked the question, Who can understand his errors? Cleanse me from what? My secret faults. 
Do you, there are things that are, we're blind to in our own lives, amen? But they're not blind to God. And so God is coming for a people that's without spot or blemish. So even the stuff we're not aware of, we're asking the Lord, you take care of that. Don't go around borrowing guilt. Just deal with the stuff He shows you. Amen? Just deal with what He shows you. He shows us. And so I ask Him to show me if there's anything there. And in Jeremiah 17, 9 and 10, we find these words. The heart is deceitful above all things, desperately wicked, who can know it? We can't. That's why we need somebody to investigate it. The Lord searched the heart... I, the Lord, search the heart, I test the mind, even to give every man according to his ways, according to the fruits of his doing. So, the Lord searches us to show us what's there. Amen? So, when we ask him to search, it's a request for an investigation, for judgment. And in Psalms 139, 23 and 24, we find these words, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me, and know my anxieties. And see if there is any wicked way in me, and lead me in the way everlasting. You know, the thing is that many of our sins, the many things that we do, you know, we run into young people that are doing stuff they shouldn't be doing. What I'm discovering is more often than not, they're acting out of pain. And if you just deal with the pain issue, the behavior issue to get taken care of, and, and many times we're doing the same thing. There's stuff in there, and we're asking the Lord to get to the root of our problems. Many times we're trying to deal with symptoms. You can't do that. You've got to get to the core issues. And in the most holy places where we ask the Lord to get to the core issues in our life, we're inviting Him in there to take care of it. Because once you take care of the core issues, you take care of the symptoms. Does that make sense? So it's an invitation for that. Look, we're desperately wicked. We don't know how bad we are. But as we come to know Jesus better and better, He begins to reveal to us Himself, and in the light of His face, we begin to see what we're like. But we keep our eyes on Him, not on ourselves. Amen? Because it's by beholding we become changed. After I've done this, and I'll quote some of these scriptures in my mind as I'm talking to Him, but this is the most intimate time with God in my devotional life. And it is here that I really open my heart to Him. And I share with him my dreams. I share with him my concerns. I share with him my hopes. I talk to him as my friend. You know? And, and I just lay it out to him. And I want his opinion or his thoughts on things. Lord, what, what is this, this something that, that you would agree with? And uh, so this is where I just open up my life. Uh, you know, I know that the time of the end is coming. And Listen, I did not say what I just said. The time of the end is here. And I realize that we are living seconds before midnight. Listen, when 08 came to us, this thing should have hit us like a ton of bricks. It stopped. God is buying us time. But this thing's coming. And, I, and, I, and, I'll, and I'll ask the Lord, I want to be ready when, when this thing hits. I want to be one of the troops that's on the ground, ready to go. And of course, that takes place every day as I'm involved in service. He's equipping and preparing me, amen? But I look down the road and I'm saying, you know, Lord, I have some money in the bank. Not a lot. But what do you want me to do with it? Lord, will you let me know when it's time to sell? In the meantime, what do you want me to do with these things? How can I better serve you? This is what I'm wanting to know each day. So in this time of the prayer life, this is where I get into my world, my personal. I prayed for other people. But now I'm praying about the things that are burdening my heart. This is the intimate time that I spend with my Lord and my Savior. And uh, so this is the, the sanctuary prayer. It helps me to keep my mind focused. It's constantly reminding me what God has done in the past, what God is doing right now, and what He's about to do. It keeps it fresh in my mind, keeps me in tuned with what He is doing. And I hope that that has been a blessing to you as well. At this time, uh, I'm just going to have a short prayer, then we're going to open it up for questions.
That sound good for Q&A? And then we'll have a moment of prayer. Let's, uh, let's, let's bow our heads for a moment, if, we, if you'll join me. Father, I want to thank you so much for the sanctuary that makes the plan of salvation so easy for people like me. I am grateful for it, Father. It's the kindergarten in understanding how you're going to deal with this in problem. It makes so much sense. And it also makes sense as to why the prince of darkness hates it and wants us to think it doesn't exist or it doesn't matter or it's not real or whatever so that we don't pay any attention to it. But Lord, upon discovering and studying it, suddenly the whole New Testament comes to life. We begin to realize the whole New Testament is immersed in sanctuary terminology and, 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 and it just the whole thing becomes real to us. But Lord, is a model for prayer. It's a reminder to us of the hour in which we live and what it is we must be praying for now. We thank you so much, Father, for the, 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 the things you have revealed to us uh, in, in, in not only what you've done, but what you are doing and what you're about to do. And Father, I ask now for your continued blessings as we end up this segment. And as each one of these young people leave, I pray you'll go with them in power. I pray, Lord, you'll help them to remember the things that, that you have taught them here. And may you get all the praise and the glory and the credit, I pray to you, Father, and utilize this and use them, Lord, to light uh, a revival in their life and through them set their world around them on fire. Thank you. Lord, you also know that there are burdens here. And Lord, I pray that you will lift them for them and and that you will work in their life and bring the healing, Father, that they're looking for. I thank you because you're the only one who can truly supply it. And I ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. This message was recorded by Fountain View Productions for GYC. GYC, a supporting ministry of the Seventh-day Adventist Church, seeks to inspire and equip young people to be vibrant, Bible-based, and Christ-centered Christians. To download or purchase other resources, visit us online at gycweb.org.